Hey, Hill City. My name is Deandra, and I'm a part of the team here. We are so glad you're online with us this morning. We want you to know that Hill City is a safe place for you to get to know Jesus. So if you are curious and have doubts, questions, or fears, we would be so honored to talk with you through them. We want to know who you are, check in with you, and see how you're doing. You can fill out a connection card on our website to help get you connected with people. Today, we've got a few songs and then the next message in our sermon series. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. 
Um, if this is your first time here, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this Hill City team here. And just so grateful you decided to spend a portion of your Sunday with us um, on your way out today. Um, again, if you're looking for a new church home, we'd love to have you. And uh, on your way out at the info bar, there will be some people there to ask or answer any questions that you might have. And we'd love to get you connected here in this community. We're in this series called um, Built the Last, which is uh, taking a look at why does this matter? Like, why does church matter? Like, does this, does it really have any meaning anymore? And uh, what does it mean for us? And so each week we've been looking at uh, just a little different component to it. And ultimately, here's what uh, I want the goal to be in this entire series. We've got a, a few more weeks left in this, but I want us to feel the weight of what it means to be the church. And um, I think for too long, what has happened for Christians is uh, church community and the idea of gathering and everything uh, for years and years and years. This isn't like just because of COVID thing. This is like, this is, I'm, I'm talking decades of stuff um, that we're addressing here. It's just become just kind of eh, right? It's like, we, like being involved in church and being connected in church and, and really taking your faith seriously is it's kind of just been put on the back burner or been like an add-on to our lives. Yet, yet when we look at scripture and everything, um, it paints a totally different picture uh, of what it's supposed to be like to follow Jesus and what it actually means to be the church. I understand that everyone in here is, is like on their own faith journey and everything and people are at different steps and some of you guys in here are just trying to figure stuff out and that's wonderful. Like we appreciate that process. There's a reason why we say we want to create a safe place for people to explore their faith in Jesus and so that's a reality. We want to create space for that. Um, but for those other folks in here who are, are trying or simply saying like I am a Christian, all right, if you say that phrase in any way, shape, or form, um, you really need to feel the weight of what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be the church um, and what it means to be a part of something that is the hope of the world. And so um, the main line uh, for this morning is simply this, that we underestimate the level of intensity to which Jesus taught and the level of intensity that early church leaders expected. Okay, sometimes we, we miss out and like, Jesus was intense, y'all. Like, intense. Not like, hey, come on. Just kind of coax you into everything. Like, he was not afraid to, to throw a little jab to your throat. He just wasn't, right? Like, there's like a little piece of, of Jesus there that is important. And even when you begin to read the early church leaders, uh, whether that's reading in the New Testament or even the early church father of the movement over the first couple hundred years, there, there's such a level of intensity to um, how they taught and, and expectations of what it meant to follow Jesus um, I was thinking about intensity a lot uh, this past week, and uh, one of my, uh, when I was 12 years old, I don't know, uh, I was an area all-star team for baseball, and I, we had this guy, his name was Coach English, and Don English. Um, I don't know why he was our coach. Um, he was just a mean, mean dude, and, um, and, but he, man, he was like intense. So when I think about intensity, it's like I picture him. He would he would smoke all the time, like during, like the, during the games, like during practices, everything. And when we're taking uh, like infield practice, he's just got, he's got a cigarette in his mouth smoking. He dropped so many F-bombs. It was ridiculous. Um, and he was just like, everything was like so intense. And so we're taking infield one day and, uh, for practice and um, he drills one. I was, I was pitching. And so he he's drills one and it hits my ankle. 
And, um, and I go down, and it felt like my ankle just like shattered, okay? So I'm 12, and, 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 I, and, and I look down, and my, it's already like puffing up, and I could see it swelling up. My friend Anthony, uh, who's playing third base, he comes, he comes running over, and he's looking at me, and he's like, Wads, are you okay? okay? And, and I was like, I don't know. I think my ankle's broken. And Coach English comes up, bat on his shoulder, steps over top of me, and goes, get up. <laughs> and so I get up, and I'm not telling like, I... To my knowledge, at that point in my life, I had not felt that much pain. And so I'm standing there, and he looks at me, and my eyes are, you know, filled with tears a little bit because it's like an intense moment. And he looks at me, and he goes, do not let one tear fall out of that eye. Like that. And, um, and so he goes, we do not cry. And, um, and so I'm just, I'm like biting my lip, and I'm just like, oh my God. And there were some expletives in there too, by the way. But, um, but so he's like, he's, he's telling me this, and he goes, he goes, everyone back to their positions, right? So I'm standing there. And he goes, he proceeds to rifle four more balls at me, like immediately, like that, and hit him as hard as he could. And uh, the first one, like I kind of like hobbled over. He goes, get the effing ball. And like come, and like comes like this, right? And he did again and again and again until I feel the ball and like cleanly threw it over, right? Never mentions a word from that again. So this was 32 years ago, all right? So six months ago, um, during our baseball fantasy, like we're having a conversation with Anthony, who was in a fantasy baseball league, he goes, do you remember Coach English and what he, like it stuck with the intensity of that moment, stuck with him. I know some of you are like, oh, I can't believe Coach did that and all that sort of stuff. But let me just say this, like was it abusive? Maybe, I don't know. But like, <laughs> but it was this moment though that honestly, it was pretty formative for me. And for, for some people, I get it. I, I understand the ills of some of that stuff too. But man, there was like a point there too. I was like, it stuck with me um, for the rest of like my athletic career all the way through college. Like there would be moments where, where I would feel like a little bit of pain and like his smoking face would come into my, my head, my memory, and I would just remember certain things uh, about the intensity of it. it. Like it stuck with me because it was like so intense. It was so intense that it stuck with me. It was so serious to him in that moment, which you can argue why it was so serious. I don't know why, but it was his 12-year-old All-Star team was so serious to him. And it meant so much. It, it, it stuck with me. And a lot of times it made me like pause for a second. I started thinking, man, how many things are we like really intense about? Like truly. Like when we get around people, when people get around you or people get around me, like what would they say you're intense about? And does that intensity really matter? Like whatever that is, that intensity is for. Um, I just got done reading a book called The Intentional Father, and, um, which is a fantastic book. If you're a, a father of sons, young sons, like the, this is a must read. Um, and the intensity to which he talks about raising sons and what that looks like and what that means for them, it was like powerful as I was like processing it. Like what does it mean to, to raise Max, you know, and he's 13 years old and, and what, do we, what do we do here? What does next kind of bring him into manhood? What does that look like? And um, there's an intentional and there's an intensity to that. What does that mean? And I just started thinking about how often we, we lack this intensity in our lives. Like I, I think about this, I'm like I don't want anyone, like Lacey and I talk about this all the time, we don't want anyone else discipling our kids, right? We don't want school discipling, we want their friends discipling, we want anyone. It's like, no, they, we, we are responsible for discipling our kids. And it's like, but you, you have to do that like intentionally and with intensity, right? Like that's what we do. And, and so when we think about church and when we think about your faith, and for you, is there an intensity to your faith? 
Is there an intensity to um, how we begin to process what it means to follow Jesus and actually be in community together? I want to take a look at this passage in 1 Peter 2. So Peter was one of the closest followers of Jesus, and so um, he wrote a couple of letters uh, to the early uh, churches um, that were around at that time. And uh, Peter wrote this, and, and I, it's an interesting passage. He says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. We've talked a lot about that stuff recently. But he says, like newborn babies, look at this. He says, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up. All right, so these things are all connected here. So you crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He continues, he says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. This is fascinating language. To be a holy priesthood, offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen people. It's significant. It's like you're chosen. You're a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession. So that, here we go, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, meaning like you were separated from God, like you're not part of this. But once you decide to follow Jesus and become part of it, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I want to take this passage and talk about the intensity of this. Because sometimes we read a passage like this, and, and for those of you that maybe grew up in church, you've heard about this idea, the priesthood of all believers. And you're like, yeah, that sounds good. We're like part of this, like we're part of this thing together, and we're, we're part of God's holy nation, right? That kind of sounds good and everything. But I want us to feel the weight of this. I want us to feel the intensity of what this means. And so in order to do that, I want to create also a little depth um, to it because there's this language that's here um, really simply based off of this, right? So if you think about this in, um, this is going to be a horrible drawing, but here is the temple, all right? I'm going to write temple so you remember that's what it is. All right, so um, here's, here's the temple. And this temple becomes significant um, in early uh, Israel faith, right? The temple language and the tabernacle language is, is like massively important when you start thinking about this. Um, it actually goes all the way back to creation. So in, in the creation story in Genesis, um, there is uh, this part of the story where it says that Adam was created and then so was Eve, right? And where does it say that, that, that Eve came from? Do you guys remember what part of Adam's body? rib. Here's what's interesting about that. A lot of scholars talk about this, that the word that's used for rib is only, like, everywhere in the Bible it's translated as um, a structure, a beam, or a wall for uh, a, a sacred site. Okay? And so the word that's used there is like, sometimes like, what, it came from Adam's rib? right? Like, there's like, um, Lacey came from my rib? No, that's not how this works, right? Like, it's not like, it's not like a real thing. And it's like, well, you know, he had one less rib after that. Like, that's not what it means. It's like, no, there's something more significant to what's being tied into here that we start seeing like, man, this word that's used for, for this, this, that Adam and Eve were supposed to be something, like this, this spiritual housing 
of creator, the creator God. But there, there's something that there was being built in them that they were supposed to house. Like, man, when, when they saw humanity, it's like, man, God created that. That humanity was supposed to image the creator God. And there was some kind of language that was tied into that. Well, from that, um, we move on to the story of Exodus. And it's this interesting story because now these people of Israel are coming along and uh, God is interacting with this guy named Moses. And as he begins to interact with them, I want to point you to a a piece of the story that some of the language is going to sound very familiar to what we just read here in 1 Peter. Look at this. Hold on. He says this, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So pause. It's like, you know who I am. You know what I've done. You've you've seen all that I am as God the creator, right? And and God who has saved you. It's like, you, you know this. He says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then... Out of all nations, here's that language again, you will be my treasured possession. Like you're, you're chosen. There's something significant about you. You're, you're set apart as something different. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. There's this priesthood language that's there. And uh, look, holy nation, these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. There's something significant to this language that's tying in, even this idea of the priests. And so after this, what ends up happening is, is God gives them the instructions to build this tabernacle. And within the tabernacle, um, they would put the Ten Commandments, and then it was also housing the presence of God. And so this idea that the tabernacle this would go along with the people, and, and that the people would represent what was in the tabernacle. And, uh, and then and later on, they, they, they decided to build this holy temple. Now here's what's interesting about this temple. If you were a priest, um, only the highest priest could go into certain areas of the temple. So in the presence of God area, only the, the high priest could go in there. And it only happened once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And they would go in there and they would actually tie a rope to the ankle of the priest. And it was long enough that they could go all the way into the Holy of Holies in the presence of God. Because if you didn't interact with the presence of God in the right way, you would be killed. And if the priest died, they had to figure out a way to, to haul him out because no one else could go in there. And so it was this massive, like, thing that if you were a priest, it was like this unbelievable responsibility that was put on you, okay? And you were supposed to represent the presence of God. You were supposed to usher in, like, so many different things for the community and take on all this thing. As the priest, it's like, man, this is a really, really big deal. And how you interact, and, and man, you were this connection, this, this mediator to the presence of God that other people couldn't experience like you did as the priest. It became significant. I know, like, man, you guys are these priests that go in there. And this temple becomes important because the temple within it is tied into, like, the creation story and is tied into the presence of God and everything. And here's what's interesting about this. As it continues to go on, Jesus comes into the fold. It says this in John chapter 1, verse 14, that the Word became flesh and made, look this, his dwelling among us. That word dwelling is actually the same word for tabernacle. So it's like that Jesus tabernacled among us. Well, all of a sudden that, what do you mean tabernacled? Well, it ties into the temple and the presence of God, which ties into the creation story. And all of a sudden there's this through line that's happening within the Bible. It's like maybe there's something significant to this idea of being the temple, of being 
the priesthood, of being, that maybe there's something deeper than just saying, we're all in this together. Maybe there's something a little weightier and more intense to what this means and the calling of what it means to be a church community. Look what this guy named Paul, he writes about it this way. Watch this. He says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, right? Members of his community. It says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. You see that? And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling a tabernacle in which God lives by his spirit. He's, Paul's like, I, I need you to feel this. It, it's, not, it's not that you just said yes to Jesus and we're good. It's not that you just said yes to Jesus and we're like, hey, brother in Christ and sister in Christ, this is great. It's, it's not that you said yes to Jesus and then we're like, oh, eternal life, this is wonderful. Those are all truths, what I just said. But what Paul's saying is like, hold on a second. Do you understand what you're being built into? That you're part of this foundation. You're being built into something, this spiritual house, this temple. He says it this way in 1 Corinthians 3. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's, look at that, temple, and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. That feels intense. For God's temple is sacred. And you, what's that say? Say it. Those of you that can read, say it. (laughs) Together are that temple. Hold on a second. You mean together? When you woke up this morning, you're like, you know what, I'm doing the early service today. I'm awake. And I'm going to go in there, and you just came in here, you got your coffee and everything. It's like, did you process that what you were just about to enter into with other people is sacred? Not, it's a Sunday. It's like, hold on a second. The gathering of God's people together in something like this, and I get the conversation about what happens outside of these walls. We'll get to that. But the gathering of God's people like this is sacred. Not, not like fun, not serious, not a habit. Not, it's like, no, no, no. Hey, you wake up in the morning and if you're married, you look over your spouse, we could do something sacred today. You wake up in the morning, you text a friend, but you come into church because you should be. I don't care what happened last night, you should be because I want you to participate in something sacred with me today. There's a sacredness to this. For those of you that have followed Jesus for any length of time, you remember that moment that you began to be connected to Jesus in the presence of like the Spirit of God and you felt the Spirit of God come on you. It was a sacred moment, right, within the context of other people. Can you experience the Spirit in other ways? Of course, but there is a sacredness to this. And if this is a sacred thing, shouldn't we treasure it? If it's a sacred thing, shouldn't we make it a priority? If it's a sacred thing, shouldn't we feel the weight of it? Right? And we should say, like, whoa, whoa, I get to participate in a sacred thing. Uh, I was talking with Cara, who's our next-gen pastor, and I was like, how many more people do you need uh, in your, your kids' ministry right now? She's like, 10 would be great. 
10 would be, like, I should be able to come up here. Well, I am up doing this, actually. I should be able to come up here and say, like, we need 10 more people to serve with our kids group. And, and listen, like, we should just have people run to go do it. Do you know why? Because you're like, whoa, whoa, there's a sacred thing I can do to help our kids? Holy cow, I get to participate in a sacred thing to help. It adds a little weight to what this begins to mean. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Now, a lot of times people will say, like, this is why you got to eat well and exercise. It's like your body is a temple. And I'm like, I mean, sure. I, I actually agree with that. Okay, I do agree with that. But that's not really the meaning of this, <laughs> this passage, okay? But, but, but people can use it that way. But listen, it's like, man, there's something to this. So you've received this from God. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. It's like this, man, there's something to all of this. It's, oh, there's this sacredness to us as a community. But why does all this matter? Look, I want to go back to the passage in 1 Peter. Because it says this. Like newborn babies, I want to tie this back in for you. Crave. That word is the lust. It's the same word. Um... How many guys lust? I'm just kidding. But there's a, um, there's, when we talk about lust, we always talk about it in this way of like, it's like a negative term and, and everything, right? There's this, but what, what Peter's actually saying here is like, no, no, no. We need to lust after the things of God. To lust after the work of the Spirit. You say, like, that's intense, right? For those of you in this room who have ever lusted, you understand the intensity of that. You do. You understand it. You understand what lust drives you towards, right? You understand. So what Peter's saying here is like, no, no, no. I want you to lust after God. And he's trying to say like, I, I need you to have this kind of intensity towards it. Because it's a sacred thing. And I want you to feel the weight of what it means to, to follow Jesus. He says, for pure spiritual milk, so that, there's that phrase again, so that you may grow up. I like that part because there's a part of it, like, has anyone ever said to you, you need to grow up, right? And with an intensity to that. Stop being a baby and grow up. Stop being a child and grow up. That's what Peter's doing right here. He's, he's saying, hey, two people are saying you're following Jesus, but you're just kind of like just doing this like half-heartedly, grow up. He's not saying like, hey, would you like grow up at some point? Would you kind of be like, just come on. Like he's not, he's not, he is using intense language, not coach English intense, but he's using intense language. Like I ha this is how I picture it. I think he's grabbing, he's, he's with people and as he's writing this, and they're discussing this, he goes, you know what you need to, you need to grow up. He's not smiling when he's saying it. He's not messing around. He's not allowing people to have excuses. He's not saying anything like that. He's like, you need to grow up. Stop playing around with this whole Jesus thing. Now for them, it was interesting because for them, this probably wasn't a hard thing for Peter to say because the reality was is the second that they said Jesus is Lord, they died. So to him, he's like, you better grow up fast because you can't play around because you're going to die for this. So is this serious for you or not? Now for us, we face borderline zero persecution in the scheme of things. 
And so we can be consumeristic. We can be, we could take this lightly. We can be like, we can always be like, oh, I'm just like trying to figure things out. And sometimes that's a reality. But then sometimes it's just us being lazy. And we need to grow up. Sometimes it's like we got to work through something, right? Like you know, we got to understand, like, how about this? We need, we need to understand the difference between struggling with sin and managing it. Like sometimes you do struggle with a sin that you got to like figure out. And it takes time and, and it takes a process. And you got to so gracious. Kind of, and sometimes you just got to say to someone, you need to grow up and stop doing that. Because you're just willingly doing it. And so we understand this thing, but what Peter says is like, you, we got to grow up. It, 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 you got to take this part seriously. Um, how many of you would agree with me that it feels like darkness is winning out there right now? Now, we know that's not the reality, right? We know that's not true. And we know what the ultimate end of the story. So, so the reason why it feels like, listen, if we got around, uh, darkness should tremble with people who fully believe in Jesus. When we talk about this wonderful light that Peter talked about, it's like when darkness comes around, like Hill City Church, it's like, man, I don't want to go around there because I know what happens when darkness comes around. There are people there who grew up. There are people there who take it seriously. There are people there who like, like this community, it's like, man, they, they take it so seriously. There's an intensity to what they do. And darkness would be like, I'll go to the other church. Because I know, like, I have no place there. And that the light would shine through it. I know some of you guys, again, are in here and be like, man, Wags, I'm just in here. I didn't even know what the Bible said before I walked in here, okay? And, and that's cool. Like, there's a pride. Like, we're with you. We're with you, we're with you, we're with you. But, man, there's an intensity to what should happen in the midst of this. So let me roll through a couple of things that I want, I want us to do. We need to feel the weight of community around us. We need to feel the weight of the community. Um, there's this insane thing that happened on social media re recently um, where some pastors of a denomination um, said that empathy is like a weakness and empathy is almost sinful. And empathy is not something that we should like fully do as Christians. And um, it was, there, there's so many things wrong with what was said in that moment. But, but as believers, because this is what Jesus literally did. Um, we should feel the experience of other people in the hurt and the pain. We, we should engage. We should feel the weight of what's going on uh, within the context of, of the community around us. We, we should feel it. And we should want to feel it. Because when you actually feel it is when you can allow light to shine through it and in it. If we don't feel it, then here's what we'll do. We'll, throw, we'll just kind of throw some, like, sayings at them. Or we could throw some money at them. Or we, could, like, we won't actually be involved. Because why? Like, when you feel someone else's pain, you want to be involved in it. When you feel someone else's pain, you want to check in on them. When you feel someone else's pain, you want to engage them. It doesn't mean you let them sit in it or, like, like make excuses for it. It doesn't make any sense what I'm saying. But, but when you feel it, you're going to be involved in it. And then we should have empathy towards it. The way I thought about it this week was to feel hurt, pain, and experience someone else, experience someone else has, has had isn't a sign of weakness. It's a sign of Christ-likeness. But man, we're being just like Jesus in the midst of this. You know, justice that we see when we see injustice within communities, and whatever that injustice is, um, 
we realize that justice is an outpouring of the gospel, right? Like when the gospel is actually, like when, when, when what Jesus taught, which is part of the gospel, what Jesus taught is working through a community, like justice happens. And you know what justice is? Justice is making things whole. That's what it is. It's making things whole. And so justice is an outpouring of the actual realities of Jesus. And so when people say things like, well, that happened way before my time, or whatever, whatever it is, I'm like, I don't have to apologize for that, or I don't have to feel that, or I don't have to. I'm like, no, you do. And you actually don't believe that. And here's why you don't believe it. Have, have you guys ever been to a funeral where someone has, like, it's hard to say something good about the person? Right? Here's what you'll notice in those moments. Um, one, it's incredibly sad to be around. But two, here's what will happen. You'll start talking to the family, and the impact of what happened in that generation got sent down to the next couple of generations. And so you actually do feel what happened a couple of generations before you. You feel that individually, and you feel that as a family. So then as a culture, then the the reality is also true. It's like, sure, some things might have happened a long time ago. However, when we step in and empathize, we'd be like, but it still rears its ugly head in some capacity now. And it's been hurtful in some capacity now. So we feel that with people, whatever that thing is. You can be with people that have had generational issues in their family, and it's like, you can be like, dude, that happened three generations ago. Why are you still, why, how has that impacted you now? And it's like, it just got passed down. And we feel the weight of it. You know, we, we've talked a lot about racial issues. And stuff. It's like, man, like stuff that got passed. I was reading this week, uh, this article about like some people that owned land in Times Square. But because they were black, they couldn't keep the land. Do you think that had general in, generational impact? And so like you, we, you feel those things generations afterwards. And so why? And so we feel the weight of the community. Like that's what we do when, when we're Christians. Like we just feel the weight. We don't sit in it because we've got hope and we, got, we want to make things better, we want to make things whole. But we, we feel the weight of what begins to happen just like you would in your own life or just like you would with a family or friend. And so when you feel the weight of the people's community, it's like, man, as priests, as royal priesthood, as God's holy nation chosen, it, it's like, man, and we crave this kind of stuff. It's like when we begin to grow up, we feel the weight of the community. When we begin to grow up, we're like, you know what else? Man, I want people to experience this wonderful light. So when you experience like the, the weight of the community, what do you experience is the darkness that's around it. And you want people to experience this wonderful light that we have in Jesus. A question I wrote down this week, and you guys have heard me ask this before, because it's something that I actually think about a lot. It's like, man, if everyone's prayers in our community were answered, how many new people would come to know Jesus? Just think about that for your own prayer life. If God answered every single one of your prayers, how many new people would come to know Jesus? If God answered every single one of your prayers, how many of your coworkers would come and be part of our community here? If God answered every one of your prayers, what would change in your family? It's like, man, when we have the heart for this community, and we have the heart for the people around us, and we feel it, like the Christ-likeness of feeling it, it's like, man, if God answered my prayers, man, Richmond would change. If God answered my prayers, man, 
my family would change. If God answered my prayer, my crazy two coworkers who, they're nuts. God would do something in their hearts and they would come be part of our community. Like, like the, the, we, man, can you imagine that? But when we don't feel the weight of our community, here's what happens. Our prayers are only concerned with ourselves. And so when God would answer our prayers, it would just make my life better. That's not being a priest. That's not feeling the weight of the community. That's not having this craving in our souls that we've grown up and we're like, ah, I just see something bigger. I want to feel it. That's what it should be. And so here's a challenge I want you guys to do actually this week. I want you to write down five names. Five names. And I want you to pray hard for those five names. And you don't stop until there's some kind of answer. And those five names, I want you to pray for them that they would come to know Jesus. I want you to pray for them that they would come be part of our community here. I want you to pray for them. Because here's what will start to happen. You'll have a coworker on that list, a friend on that list, a family member on that list, whatever. And you'll interact with them. And all of a sudden, your whole, the way you see them will be different. You'll see Paul from accounting, who's a little unethical, and he's kind of a... Sorry, Paul, if you're in here. But like, they're, like you're just like, like, he's like unethical. He's kind of a jerk. And like you hate, you can't stand him as your manager and everything else. But all of a sudden you start praying for him. You start seeing Paul very, very differently. Praying for him to be like, no, no, Jesus, I want you to do something in his life. And, and, and Jesus like, would look at you and be like, guess what? I have authored you to be part of the presence of God in his life. As part of my temple. It's a little weightier. So write down five names. Uh, here's two more quick things. We need to model the presence of God. See, the priests were in communion with God. And uh, the way that they lived their lives was very differently. It was in tune with all the things of God and the teachings of God. And so being labeled as a priest and part of the priesthood means that we begin to order our lives very differently. Um, they were mediators for people's experience. So, so we as, so guess what? This is what's kind of cool. And, and some of you guys may have felt this at one point or another. If, you, if we were to see this as a sacred thing, like I was saying earlier, because it's like the presence of God, right? We become mediators to all of this stuff. Guess what ends up happening? When someone walks in this room and they're struggling, and they walk into this room, and if all the other people in the room are like, hey, we are mediators to the presence of God because that's what priests do. And that's why this is so sacred. That people begin to experience the presence of God off the intensity to which you're engaging Jesus. And they're like, oh, there it is. Like, have you ever had a moment where you're just like, I can't sing today because it's just like, I'm, I'm not in a good head space or hard space. And, and, or you're going through something so hard. It's like, I can't even like, I can't sing. Like, I just I can't get involved. But, but man, something happens in the room. And it might be like three people next to you who are just intensely just engaged. And there's something that happens with the way they're engaging Jesus in the spirit of God. It's like, it attracts you into it. It pulls you into it. And it changes something. God said, man, we're supposed to be mediators to the, the presence of God, through the way that we worship, through the way that we engage the word, through our deeds and action. We sang uh, this song, that, you know, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Here's what this means. If, if we are mediators to the presence of God, which is what Peter is saying here, that God's people are in a gathering like this, that when people encounter the church, they should feel whole and free. They should be like, that's what the Spirit of God is like. 
There's some weight to this. But in order to do this and understand that we've got to prioritize the right things, understand the sacredness of this. And so I wrote down a couple of things. I said, we prioritize what we think is most valuable. We prioritize what we think is most valuable. This is not hard to figure out in our lives. It's really not. You do a time audit, look at your calendar, understand your thoughts. Like, it's not hard to figure out what's most valuable, right? Now, I'm not saying that like every second of the day, it's like, you know, every other minute, you're just going down and you're like, oh, I gotta pray. You're just doing lunges all day because you're just like, I just gotta pray all day. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, man, when, when God's truly a priority in our lives, it's like it's infused in everything that we do. And we know it. It's not even, it's not there by mistake. It's like we, we know it's in there. It's a priority in everything. And we prioritize this. It becomes a bigger deal. Why? Because it's sacred. Like, think about it this way. I'm not asking you for perfect attendance, okay? I'm not. But I do want you to feel the weight of being like, whoa, whoa, I could be a part of someone experience the presence of God by being a part of this sacred thing. I wouldn't want to miss that. Right? Like when someone's like, when someone shares a story like, man, on October 3rd, I came into church and I was like in a rough place. But man, God like did something miraculous in my heart. There was something that was going on and the Spirit of God moved in me and like it changed my life. And you're like, I was there. I was there. Right? It's like, how cool is that? That God would allow it to be this way. We miss out on opportunities with God because we've organized our lives to ignore him. We need to grow up. We need to prioritize the right things. We need to feel the weight of this. That's why it's so important and why we see the sacredness of Gathering. That's why this temple language is such a big deal. What it ties in the weight of what this actually means. Here's the last part. Band, you guys can come back up. Priests were all set apart. And I'm not even going to belabor this point a lot. We'll talk about this in another week. But they were set apart. They were set apart in how they lived and how they thought. There was something very distinctive in how they um, began to live their lives. It was, it was just different. It was different. You, you knew when a priest was in the room. You knew when a grouping of priests came along. You, you just knew it because they're like, they just do this differently. And so for us as royal priesthood, as a holy nation and everything, it's like when people get around us as, as believers, it's like when we're at work, when we're at play, when we're at travel sports, when we're at drama, when we're at whatever we go to, when we're with our French, you know, friends or whatever, whatever we're doing, people are like, there's just something different about them. They just do it differently. They're here right? But they just, there's something different. There's something different about them. They're, they're set apart. So here's what I want us to engage this morning. Do you feel the weight of your coworkers, of your neighbors? Do you feel the, the weight of your community that's immediately around you? Do you see the sacredness of this? Do you see the, do you feel like, isn't this crazy that God's like, let me give you something sacred you could be connected to and involved in and that like can be a part of helping see life change in other people. It's crazy. And it's significant. 
And I'm not, you know, wherever you guys are, you are on this faith journey, but I wonder what would begin to happen if we all just hit pause for a second, no matter where we are, we're just like, whew. The God of all creation wants me to be connected and feel the realities of being chosen by him. The God of all creation wants me to feel and know and experience the realities of being like, being connected to him in such a way that there's a sacredness to all that we do. We're going to sing a song in just a second. It talks about you bigger than I thought we were. And there's this line in there that I just love. Because it says, I stop all negotiation with the God of all creation. It's just bigger. It's like he, your life can be bigger and more meaningful and more sacred because it's attached to the God of all creation. Let's pray. God, I want, um, we're going to sing this song here, and I want us to feel the lyrics of this song. I don't want us to just sing them um, because they're words on a screen or just because we're supposed to. I want us to feel it. And God, I want us to sense the sacredness of this moment of what we're about to do. I want us to sense the sacredness that right now there are people in this room that are being challenged by your spirit right now and coming to some realities of like, man, I have not treated my life this way. I have not treated my faith this way. I have not treated church this way. I have not treated this community this way. I have not felt the weight of my coworkers. I'm not like, so God, right now, like there's a sacred thing happening within our hearts of who you want us to be. For some, it might be for the very first time. So God, I pray that we would feel that. Truly feel it. So that we would begin to see our lives differently and see others how you want us to. And through that, we can say, man, you're bigger than I thought you were. And so I'm going to stop negotiating with you, God, and surrender to you. In your name, amen. Will you guys stand and sing this song with us? All right, we'll do this in five. Cool. I always wanted to do this. Hi, my name is Brian, and I'm one of the interns here at Hill City. We're so glad you were here with us this morning. We want you to know that Hill City is a safe place for you to get to know Jesus. And if you have, if you're curious and have doubts and questions or fears, we are honored to talk to you through them. If you've been watching with us online, we want you to check out and get to know how you are doing. You can fill out a connection card on our website and get connected with real people. Today we're gonna have a few songs and we go through the next message of our sermon series. Brian? Thank you. <laughs>